0: So um, this is our third week of this stages conversation. We've only got a couple more. We've been going through different stages of life and talking to specific groups of people and then seeing what we can all learn um, from this stage in life. And that there's actually continued opportunities to learn from each stage. So the first week we talked to that adolescent age, the younger group, you know, where you're really trying to struggle with and figure out what your identity is in and define Who am I and what am I going to be and what am I called? And so we talked about how even at any age, culture can say things and we can wear all these different name tags of things that we're not and that we can struggle with them and that Christ has given us an identity in Him and that we're loved and we're valued and we've been adopted and that we're enough. And those are the tags that we need to wear and we need to know um, because of the strength that comes with that of who God is Then last week, talked to my singles, Um, and and those of you who know who's single, um, that was a fun conversation, really about how the things that we're doing now or who we're becoming, the wise investment into practicing and who we're becoming right now uh, becomes the past, which is a view into what our future life is going to look like, our future marriage or our future single life or just our future life period, and that all of us can say, I want to name something that's not true of me now, but I want to be true of me in three years from now. And begin to invest, begin to practice into becoming that type of individual in three years from now. And there's something that we can do because we want tomorrow to look different. We can learn from that stage. And today, today's going to be a little bit awkward. Yeah, because I'm talking to my coupled friends. um, And um, there's something that we can all learn from this. But it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be awkward, especially for us guys. I'm a guy, I know this. Just gonna put it out there. I feel uncomfortable with you already. I know if I was sitting in your seat, I'd feel uncomfortable. And it's not, we're not even gonna talk about sex and it's gonna be uncomfortable. It's worse than that. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to put it out there so you ladies understand why we're so uncomfortable. Cause like I said, I would, might even be frustrated, like, oh, this is the day. Here's the deal with guys, right? When it comes to relationship conversations, we're into us. We don't like to be wrong. So just uncomfortable right at the bat because it's just, we're already like, whoa, what are you about to do? We don't like to be wrong. We don't like to be told what to do, right? So it's just one of those like, oh, you know, you can just grunt, you're with me like, oh, that's right. I don't like to be told what to do. We also, we don't want another man telling us how to run our relationships. Now this is true. This is why it's especially uncomfortable because I'm the man who's standing up here right now. <laughs> Telling you about relationships. So if I know I was sitting where you were at, I'd be like, "You don't even know," and you know, don't be telling me about my relationships. And the other thing, it's just really uncomfortable, is that we want our wives to think that all the great ideas are our ideas, (laughs) not from some dude up on a stage, right? So it's just a little uncomfortable, and yeah, (laughs) it's all good. I just putting it out there. It's gonna be okay. But here's the deal, though, and this is the the ladies know this already. They're like, it shouldn't be that bad. And I really need you to not amen me or nudge and stuff like this. Um, This isn't one of those. Sometimes we have those, but this isn't like a hallelujah service. We're just (laughs) quietly going to listen to this. See, women, women think this about us. They say, well, we're wrong most of the time. And so they're like, this isn't going to be uncomfortable. You're wrong most of the time. We're also desperately in need to be told what to do. Like, I'm so glad we're Here today. This is not that service. You guys are getting excited right now, right? We wouldn't need another man to tell us how to run our relationships if we would just listen to our wives, right? Yeah, and our wives already know that our greatest ideas were their ideas that they want us to think were our ideas. So let's get into this. Here we go. We're talking about relationships, and there's some great stuff that we can learn. We're going to get into this. Um, I, I got some really great like, practical and tactical takeaways from this. And again, if you're, you're single, um, this is stuff you can take into your most significant relationships that when they're not healthy, um, how they have a, a profound impact on your life and the people around you. You can take some of these same tools into that space. So here's the biggest thing I want to tell you about. The most powerful relational dynamic is this, mutual submission mutual submission. This is the greatest story of the greatest message that has ever been told. It's at the heart of the message of who Jesus was. It was all about mutual submission to being uh, someone we ended up with our worship service of, I surrender all. A mutual submission that says, I'm about you, and I'm completely about you, and I'm submitting to you, and you're doing the same with me. We have um, this, uh, the, this idea where we have We have the guy in here, and then we have a girl, right? And what happens is, is when there's not mutual submission, one of them goes, and they stop right here. The other one goes, and they stop right here, and they're both given like 50%, right? And they're like, this is great. This is what a wonderful relationship. No, this is where misery happens, right? (laughs) Right? There's not mutual submission here. They're not all about the other person, right? They're just like, how far will you go? I'll go that far as well. So, today we're going to talk about mutual submission and what that actually looks like. And these are conversations that I've had with hundreds and hundreds of couples when they come in and they're like, oh, there's just something that's not working and it's not clicking. And we can learn a lot from the scriptures. So, today I'm going to start off with something that Paul said in Ephesians. He said to this, this is a famous verse too for weddings, if you've ever been to a wedding. He said to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Who are you supposed to submit to? One another, right? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not because you wanted to, but out of a reverence for Christ and who he is, right? This is the umbrella, the, the start um, to the specifics, the, the belief system we first need to understand, which is this idea that we need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he's going to get into some specifics. Oftentimes, we skip over to this verse and we get right into this next one, which is really familiar to a lot of you. Then he follows up with specifics. Well, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean for me? And he says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, Right? And guys, they love this verse. For some reason, they're like, yeah, have you seen that? Like, that's a great verse. And I would say like, no, 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 it's not to you. It's not written to you. It's written to the wives, right? So that's what's written specifically to them. And it's talking specifically to them about what submission looked like, what this submission to one another out of reverence for Christ looks like. Then it goes on and it talks about husbands, husbands, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church, Right? So ladies be like, yeah, that's exactly what you should do. No, 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 it's not to you. You do your part, they'll do their part, and they're both actually very similar, right? How far and how much did Christ love the church? He died for it. Like he gave everything, 100%, he died for it. So husbands, loving your wives just as Christ loved the church is dying for it, 100% giving yourself to this. So that changes this whole scenario, this whole diagram right here. Then if you're looking at all of this is done in reverence with Christ, you have God at the apex, then you have the submission to him, and then 100% to the other person. And 100% here and 100% here. This is what a healthy, mutual, submissive, Diagram looks like, and where we get in trouble is we say, No, 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 no. I'm going to do tit for tat, eye for eye, right? And when I have problems with people, when they come in, they're sitting there saying, yeah, like, it's just really simple, like, petty things, and it's just not jiving, it's just not working, and it's because one person's only going here, and the other person's saying, meet me here. Or one person is going 50%, and the other person is still giving themselves 100%, and their endurance is just wearing down, and they're like, oh my gosh, I keep doing this, but you're not giving yourself all the way over and being mutually submissive back to me, like, mutually at the sacrifice of talents and time and energy and thoughts, Right? This is very difficult, but this is what a healthy relationship looks like. In its best form, in the way that it was actually created to be, in the midst of relationships, God's the one who created them in the first place. And in the context of marriage, guess who created that? Now, side note, when there's issues, and and I've had issues where people come up and be like, it's just so broken. Like, it's just so much of a mess. I will tell you that the people who choose to say like, you know what? I'm going to let God be a part of this. He'll heal it. He'll fix it. When there's when there are people who have no hope and they're like, this is just such a mess. It's gone so sideways. If they'll just crack the door and say, we're actually going to let God do these things. He's the one who created it. He'll make it happen. If it's just dependent on this group, most of the time it's no go. So difficult. And it's so difficult to watch. So it's healthy to understand this. Now, what we need to understand about this is this is a lot of work. This is a tremendous amount, and it's this word, of humility. This takes a tremendous amount of humility. And that's not natural. Self-preservation is natural. Caring for my own needs and making sure, like, I got what I need, I got what I want is Natural. What's not natural is this definition of humble, which is you thinking more of someone else, thinking more of others, and less about yourself. It's not like this idea where we got into, like, I'm a humble person, you know, like, I don't boast about myself. Those are kinds of things. But it's when you actually start thinking more about another person and less about yourself when it comes to any kinds of circumstance and situation, right? And when you see that, it's really attractive. And they're like, wow, they are like loving me hard. <laughs> they're going out of their way. Like they're like bending over backwards, almost to the point of uncomfort, but yet it's attractive because it's, it's this humility that's unexplainable, right? You see it and it's attractive. We're going to read now from the rest of this from James. James has this really beautiful piece in James 3, 13. The book is called James. This is actually Jesus' brother who wrote this. Uh, it's in the New Testament, and he, he gives it to us this way. It says in James 3.13, he says, Who is wise in understanding among you? I don't know if that was like a question we're supposed to raise our hand, but let them show it by their good deeds, by deeds done, or wisdom, by their good wisdom, their deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. So he's saying, hey, there's something that's going on here. There's wisdom that all of us need to have and all of us need to gain. Wisdom is making decisions in light of reality. Wisdom is making a decision today based on where you want to be tomorrow or how you want your relationship to look like tomorrow. Wisdom is making a decision based on the past. Wisdom is taking all the context of life into account. And so he gives us that paradigm. I'll throw it back up there real quick. This paradigm to follow, right, of what wise looks like. So we have wise, and then we have humility, and then we have wise again. So essentially he's saying, hey, those who have wisdom... This is going to lead now to humility, which then humility now is going to actually lead to more wisdom, that the only way to gain more wisdom is to understand, I got to live with my hands wide open, that I'm not always right, that there is something to learn, or that I can do more, or that there is more to this. And wisdom says, like, I want to understand I'm going to learn, I'm going to put into practice these things, I'm going to give myself over to that, which leads to humility, which then leads to more wisdom. He continues on to say, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. This is like one of those um, arrogant tip-offs, right? We've all met somebody who's arrogant. Most people who are arrogant don't know their own arrogance, right? But arrogance, like, tip themselves off and give this away, their arrogance, by what they say and how they talk, by how they boast and then what they're saying out loud or they're denying, right, about what's going on. James is in saying, such wisdom, even in quotation, because it's just not that type of wisdom, such wisdom that's like this, it's full of arrogance and all about self, right, and boasting and selfish ambition and envy, such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic, right? For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find, and this tends to be the problem in a lot of our relationships, right here, where you have envy and self ambition, there you'll find disorder in every evil practice. Where you find this disorder, where there's selfish ambition of like, hey, I just need to figure out how to manipulate to get what I want. Or there's this envy, which is a manifestation, honestly, of insecurity. If you were to ask yourself, what's envy? What's envy? It's this manifestation of what insecurities that we have. That he or she has something that I don't. Or there is something true of them that is not true of me. You know, like, oh, I hate her. Why do you hate her? Because she's skinny. Well, what do you mean? I don't even know how she walks in those things, right? Like, that's, that's envy. It's a manifestation of this insecurity that you are not this thing or that you want this thing. Oh, I hate him. Why do you hate him? Oh, I, I don't know. I just do. Oh, you don't like them because like, they have their financial life in order. No, that's not it. Well, yeah, you just don't like rich people. You're envious of this because they've made good decisions and been managers of what they've had. It takes place in all kinds of different ways. Insecurity is actually a manifestation that we need to learn something. Insecurity can be this manifestation that can be this light that goes off that says, hey, there's actually something to learn about myself or about the world, which would make me then less insecure. And what James is doing in this verse here is he's weaving all of this together and says none of this comes from God. This envy, this self-ambition, like this thing that's just about me and being jealous and about what I need and what can I get from this, that this doesn't come from God. This comes from something else. He says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first all pure, then peace loving, considerate. How many times do we like to hear that word? That's not even a popular name, considerate. Like we can consider someone else in the decisions we're making. Submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. This idea of considerate up there is this, I defer to you, right? It's like the silly one of like, no, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go, right? It's that considerate, like I'm gonna, you can't get in a good fight if you're like, no, you, no, you, no, you. No, it wasn't that big of a deal. Me neither. Okay, we're gone. We're moving on, right? Considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. This is what this healthy, full submission right? Mutual submission looks like in a relationship. The wisdom that comes from heaven. But we have to be willing to learn to get humble. And so let me give you a couple things that we can learn together that are so simple, but yet they feel like complex, but yet they're life-giving if we can actually figure a few of these things out. I'm going to give you three things that you can do when you realize that you're wrong. And this goes for everyone in relationships. Then we're going to watch a really great video. And then I'm going to finish with um, landing the plane on some things that we can all do this week, some clear next steps. So when you realize you're wrong in a situation, in the midst of a relationship, in that context, the first thing you need to do is you need to be able to admit it. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. That says, I'm going to be humble right now. I'm willing to learn. I will admit that I might not have the right answer, that I might be able to learn something from this situation that took place. The next thing you can do is you can consider it. You can be considerate about the other person in the context or the perspectives that they've experienced something in. I'm sorry, I'm going to admit it, or I didn't actually consider how this would affect you. This schedule that I made, or this thing that I said, right? And we can come to that table of reconciliation much faster then. The last thing that we can do is embrace it. Wisdom says embrace it. It says, like, hey, I'm going to embrace that I didn't have this right, that there's things to learn from, that I'm not being completely submissive, that this isn't what mutual submission looks like, and I do care about you, and I'm going to lean all the way in. So, now, like I said, we have some friends uh, at this faith community. who are going to share just a little bit of their transformation story. Check this out.
1: Hi, my name is Gary Pitkin. And I'm Colleen Pitkin. And we attend Northgate Benicia. We met back in the 1900s. And uh, it was on a a Friday night, about 8 p.m., at a football game. We were both in the football stands. And uh, I looked up and made eye contact with her. And literally, that was it. Yeah, so we started dating, and uh, we dated through high school. We both went to community college together, and uh, right off the bat, I ended up uh, going through uh, job training, and then got into a career really early on at uh, 20 years old, while she continued her education. He was a police officer, so he was you know in a stressful job, learning that at a very young age, 22 when we got married, so. Very young, yeah. We did. We uh, we hit life hard early, and it hit back. Six months in, we ended up getting pregnant. So it happened pretty quickly. Um, so that changed life. In my early years, uh, I was really struggling as as a guy, with, as a man without faith, as a man without an anchor, so to speak, um, and trying to uh, trying to decipher uh, what it means to be a man what it means to be a success in the world. And it was through those early years, those hard years, those difficult years, at my lowest time, at my darkest time, Jesus shined the brightest through my wife. Uh, When I was having a hard time uh, finding my way, it it was my wife who walked beside me and who demonstrated an enormous amount of strength and grace and love and patience. It was those fruits of the Spirit that drew me to Him. And then I had a strong friendship and um, her dad was a pastor so he helped us through um, a very difficult season of (laughs) being married at the very um, first year of our marriage so um, I honestly don't know that we would have made it without that. The takeaway from that was that with Christ at the center of our relationship we can't fail. As long as we keep Christ at the center, we'll be just fine. Not only fine, but we'll thrive. He's blessed us in so many ways. You know, I'm still married to my best friend. And, uh, and we still, I still ask her on dates. And she still says yes. So we still, we go out. And uh, a lot of times I'm, I'm in my box. And she gets me out of my box. And I love that about her.
0: That's great. The 1900s, weren't those the good old days? (laughs) Love me some 1900s. That's so good. That was exactly this. What a beautiful example of what this looks like, where where someone was like 50% and it was difficult and it was tough, but someone else was continually giving grace and love and strength in the midst of this because of Jesus because of God, until then, discovered together, like, hey, the only way this is going to work is with Christ at the apex of this whole thing, and we can work our way through any of these things. What a beautiful example of what that transformation actually truly looks like, right? And how it will continue to be able to work itself out. So I'm thankful to you guys for sharing that piece of this testimony with us. I'm going now to go over really quickly the five love languages. This is the stuff where you're going to want to take notes. This is where it gets really practical for you. Some of you may have taken this class. This is where you're going to get most of the learning. This is where wisdom comes into play right now. So you can actually do these things. There's, uh, in most of conversations that I have with people who are, um, you know, in really strong relationships, significant relationships that when it's not good, it has a profound impact on just them and their life, um, it's due to a lack of uh, one thing. They don't know what the other person actually needs. And so I'm going to go ahead and just let the cat out of the bag here. It's really easy. It sounds, um, it's, you're going to be like, no way, this is so easy when I heard it. The number one thing... Your wife or a woman needs, here it is, the number one thing is this, to feel loved. They need to be loved. And there's a multitude of ways in which they feel loved. But you need to first understand that, guys. Now, girls, it is not the same word. It's going to mean the same thing for the guys. The number one thing a guy needs is not to feel loved. It feels too, like, mushy-gushy. It's to feel respected. Respected. And when you, they feel respected, then they feel loved. When the woman feels loved, she feels taken care of, fully seen, 100% given to unconditionally, right? When those two things are happening, it's usually pretty good, right? But how do you make her feel loved and him feel respected? There's a multitude of things I could give you, but a really practical tool that I can give you today is the five love languages with some explanation on how you can do this. And this is for anyone as well. If you have another relationship that's significant to you that's not a spouse that's a really close friend, you want to be able to love them the same way, right? It keeps it healthy. So the first one is this, of love languages, or one of them is this, is words of affirmation. Words of affirmation is like actually saying the things out loud that you feel, right? Like, I think you're great. I love you. You make my day. You're so good at this. Thank you for doing this. I felt seen here, right? Right? the the way I can explain it is it's like the notes, it's the cards, um, it's the thing that's on the fog on the window. It's like the post it somewhere in the car when they get in to drive to work somewhere. That's just a word of affirmation. It's a reckon, it's recognizing something. Now, I'm also going to use this example as to where we get in trouble because what we do is the way that we feel best loved is typically how we want to love someone back because we're like oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, it makes you feel so good when you wrote me that note. This is so good. So I'm going to write you the best note, right? I'm going to give you this note. It's going to be so great. And, and maybe that's not you. And so what we do is we give that and they're like, ah, oh, notes are dumb, right? <laughs> they, don't like, they don't like notes. And you're like, why would you be like that? You should feel so good if someone took the time to write all those big words in there. <laughs> that means so much. And nice handwriting, right? They would feel so loved. And that's not how it works. And this is where we can actually get in trouble is we keep giving someone what they think that they need or how they'll feel loved and it's actually your love and so you need to understand that theirs is different. Really quick example. My wife is a words of affirmation person. I learned this early on in marriage that words of affirmation were really important to her. Mine is not words of affirmation, right? <clears throat> I don't do words of affirmation that well but she would write me these cards and notes and like I would go on trips and I'd unpack stuff and I'd find like a little note and I'd be like, meh, like what's this stuff here? <laughs> like, and she would be like, did you get all my notes? And I'm like, yeah, got them all, right? read everything, right? <laughs> she, she was like all about like this stuff. And now I was like, oh, it just doesn't, I do it doesn't feel love for me, right? But that, that wasn't my love language. Now her, I discovered this to be so true when I discovered she actually had a box in the closet with anything I had written on paper down. Like that's stuffed in there because that had such meaning to her. So every card that I would give, every like post-it note, every like little sneaky flirtatious thing, she kept that because that's treasure that's valuable to her, writing something like I said on the mirror or just saying it out loud instead of just keeping it, assuming you understand, right? Actually saying it. I remember I went through that whole season of like, my Lord, I have to say I love you all the time, but it's a really big deal, right? Like I said it yesterday. Isn't that good enough? Nothing's really changed. Like, it's still, yes, it's good. Like, we're good. But I didn't know I had to say it like 10, 15, 11, and four times before you leave, and like one back at you. (laughs) That's called submission, right? (laughs) All about you, babe, right? All right, so there's words of affirmation. So also in understanding that. Um, that um, you need to love people the way that they feel loved, not just how you would feel loved, right? So there's acts of service is another one. Act of service is like actually doing something without being asked to do it, right? Like you came home and you're like, wow, you like did the dishwasher or whoa, you moved the laundry three feet into the laundry basket (laughs) instead of just leaving it on the ground and I didn't have to say nothing to you. I feel so loved, (laughs) And they actually mean it. It's like true. It's like you have no idea how I feel. The dishwasher is empty, right? (laughs) This is unreal. Or like, whoa, the the garage is cleaned out and I can fit my car in there. Or like the, the lawn's been mowed. Or some, you know, you took care of a kid. Or pick whatever the thing is, an act of service that just said, I'm just thinking about you and I was serving you in this way because I knew if I did something, You would feel loved and cared for, and and then a person's going, yes, if you just did this, you have no idea what that would mean to me, right? So acts of service is another one. Another one is receiving gifts, right? Receiving gifts, like they're like words of affirmation or nothing for me, acts of service, but like you get me a gift that's like thoughtful and like just awesome, and it's like you have no idea what you just did to me. Like you gave me a gift, this was an experience. Now, I can tell you that early on, and this is one thing for you to know, that these change from time to time. So it's good to continually have a conversation. It's not always just one thing, right? But one of mine used to be gifts. And so what I would do is I'd get in trouble and I'd be like, I'm going to give her like the most extravagant gift. And it's so thought out. And I'd give it to her and she'd be like, like she didn't care. And I was like, who are you? Like, where do you even come from? Like, do you know how much money or time or thought I put into this, right? And so I had to learn that that wasn't hers, but it was mine. It was some way that I felt really loved. She then also learned that gifts were important to me, that when I said, I really, really want this, didn't mean surprise me with something else, right? (laughs) (laughs) It meant... I feel loved when I got this gift, but instead you're like, no, <laughs> no, you'd rather write letters. So here's a new pen and a paper to do it, right? <laughs> All right, another one is quality time. Just somebody like, hey, I want to spend quality time with you. Doesn't mean you could be going out, could be sitting on a couch watching a movie, just around an experience with someone, Right? They just love to have quality time with you. Like, yeah, I just want to hang out with you. Now there's like things that you have to decide like, whoa, 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 I get like a night out with the ladies at book club or a night out with the guys we are going to play poker or whatever. But the other stuff, like, hey, understand that's why it's like this. If I'm getting my quality time, I'm willing to give up whatever, right? You're putting deposits in the bank. This is great. I have these things. Now this is where I've discovered some of the things that work for Michelle and I. I was like, ooh, one of hers is quality time. She likes quality time. I like gifts. So now I'm like, how can we have an experience together that involves quality time? You get what you want and like some sort of cool thing that we're going to do that feels like a gift. So there's some ideas for you. And then the last one uh, and the most important to too many of you is physical touch. All right. Physical touch is this uh, act of service. Now, this doesn't mean all the touchy-touchy. This could just mean touching Like it's, she just says, I want to hold your hand when we walk around somewhere and just feel like, hey, you're with me and there's this closeness or put your arm around me or put your hand on my hand when we're driving down the street. That could be physical touch that just says we're good, we're okay. There's other touching that happens as well, but it's understanding what that touch means to that person and that it actually is just mutual submission, giving to that other person how they feel loved, like when they're saying, like, this just makes me feel like everything's okay, because you held my hand, because when you don't hold my hand, it doesn't feel like there's something off, like, you don't love me, and there's something wrong with me, or you don't respect me, like, you don't want to be seen with me, understand? We can get ourselves there really quickly, because we're not paying attention to the other person's needs. Now, I'm going to use a quote from my wife. We talked about this on stage. I'm giving you the ca- She's even in here, so I should be okay. The caveat... <laughs> It was her line, it was epic, I'll never forget it, Um, but she told the church like six years ago, when we get this and do these things, it's like foreplay all day, right? When you're taking care of the other person and you're like, I'm 100% about the other person, the things that do come up are much more effectively fixed. And then organic things come out of that, ways to care for and to see each other that you just don't have to like name it and say it. Make sense? So the love languages, there's a class you can actually take through Northgate U. If you want to dive in a little deeper, it's a great read for you and a couple. What your next step is today is going to be to, um, to put some of these into place. But I want to first finish this up with James, this conversation with James. He said this, peacemakers who sow in peace do what? They reap a harvest. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. They're going to, you're going to reap what you sow in is what you're going to reap, friends. So may we in our relationships sow well, so deeply, so caringly, sow 100%. Give yourself 100% to the other person. And if right now they're not, they're struggling, I challenge you in like a really beautiful, sacrificial way that's going to be so hard is to say, it's okay, I see you're still not meeting me there, but I'm just going to make you feel uncomfortable because I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going because that's what it's about. That's how this thing works. That's how it's successful. So your next steps is this, quickly wrapping it up. Identify your most significant relationship in your life. So if you're married, obviously that one. If you're not, um, somebody else that would have a, a ramification if that wasn't healthy. Take a moment, and that could be right now, this afternoon on the way home, in the car, at lunch, tonight at dinner, do not take long for this. Take a moment, write down how that person feels loved and valued using the love languages as examples. And if you need more, like, you're like, I need more clarity on what those mean, Google it, right? There it's a love language. It's called the love languages. Um, so write down, talk, and do this. Try to guess the other person's top two. And then on the way home, day, they'd be like, all right, here's what I got. I think these are it. And they can either be like, oh, no, oh my gosh. <laughs> or they can be like, winner, winner, all right got that down. Then this is the last week, this week, this week to decide to consciously pursue helping that person to feel loved and valued in a way that they best receive it. So this isn't just identifying it, friends. This is doing it. And then you will sow it and you shall reap it. Yeah, enjoy that. So um, I hope that was helpful for you. And the best part is this is just part of the greatest message that's ever been told in history. This is the example of Jesus this is all he ever did. Would you stand with me? So if you're here today, I want you to hear, and this is maybe one of your first times, or maybe this Jesus thing is new to you, and what submission looks like, or surrender, or sacrifice, or even many of the songs that we sing. I want you to hear this. I talked about this. How Christ loved the church by giving his life for it. I want you to know that he, your, your life was important for God to give his own, his own son for you. And, and to have that relationship, to, to give you a gift that you cannot earn as hard as you would try to do anything Even we just talked about, you cannot earn it, but you can receive it as a gift, and you can receive it today. And so quickly, our theology, when you come in here, because it's not just this relational stuff, but you were made to be in community. And if you're in here today and you feel like there's something dead or lost or broken... That we learn all throughout the scriptures that there's nothing so dead that God cannot resurrect it again, that he cannot make it alive. There's nothing so lost that he can't find. There's nothing so dark that he can't bring light into. And there's nothing so broken that he can't do a mending work on. And so if you come in here today and you're like, hey, I came in here, I don't know why, I'm looking for something else, and that right now is kind of hitting a button, don't leave this place without taking a next step and discovering what that is. And so I have a, a journal for you called This Changes Everything. It's a next great step. We have a little living room. It's a free gift uh, on your way out to go on a journey about who God is and what this could look like and what mutual submission looks like with God at the apex in your life and everything that you do. So I want you to have that. This is one of your first times here with us. Give us a couple weeks. Get to know us. We've got some free stuff for you, some friendly faces. We've got a little area called New Friends. You can go check that out. In just a little bit, I'm actually, if you're new, I'm going to come out to the New Friends area in just a little bit if you want to hang out. I'd love to meet you and say, hey. Uh, if you came here and you're just like, I need somebody to pray with me, we have people up front that would pray with you. And um, next week, we're going to be talking to that next stage, which is uh legacy. Um, who, what do you get to do now? What are you worth right now? And we're actually going to have uh, our founding pastor, our pastor, Emeritus Ken Jensen. He's coming next week. So if you want to come here, he's going to be sharing with us. So it'll be fun. We haven't had him here in here over a year. So it'll be fun to see him up here sharing with us again. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. It's because of that we see our homes, world, and uh, communities transformed through your compassion. Let me send you off for the blessing. So we just give up. May we be a peacemaker this week who sows and reaps a harvest of righteousness. May you be blessed by that, friends. I love you. I'll see you next week.